um, James. We're actually starting chapter two this morning. We spent a solid four weeks in chapter one. So we're going to move now to, to chapter two and begin to consider what James had for his readers in chapter two. If you're unfamiliar with your Bible, um, James is towards the end of, of the Bible. Um, if you see a big book, 13 chapters in Hebrews, it comes right after that. Um, and that's where we'll be. This is, this is James chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1 and we'll read the first 13 verses in chapter 2. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there might be a couple left on that table. Maybe? No? All gone. Okay. Well, we, we need to get some more. Um, and if you don't have a copy of God's Word and you grab one this morning, um, I would uh, encourage you just to keep that. Um, that's our gift to you. Go ahead and hold on to that um, and uh, so that you can have a copy of God's Word. This is James chapter 2. We're, again, we'll begin in verse 1 and go through 13. Our time is limited this morning um, because I know we have hungry North Dakotans and there's Nephilim soup over there. Um, so if, if you haven't been with us before, if you're just visiting, we are going to eat together, a meal together as, as, a, as a church family after, after worship, uh, which will be done shortly. Um, and I would just encourage you to stay. Just stick around, um, meet some people. Um, it'll be a great time of just spending time together um, as, the, as the people of God. Um, and there's that for soup, so bonus. Here we go. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. Will you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But if you have dishonored the poor man, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who is said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that we can come to it and that we can look at it together, Lord God. We thank you that the truth that is contained within it bears itself out in our day-to-day -day and yet is not contingent upon it. Lord God, you have spoken these truths to us. Lord God, in your word, you have granted us the ability to know you. Lord God, we come to it as those who desire to know you, not as those who desire to learn more about who we are, but primarily to know who you are. Lord God, we thank you that by the Spirit 
of Christ. You inspired men, ordinary men, to write down words on a page so that we might know you. Lord God, I pray that together as a community, we would desire, that we would long for this. Even as we just listened to the words of this song sung, we were being called higher, Lord God. We recognize that the means by which that occurs in our life is to pour or to invest in, to spend time in your word. Lord God, show in this time, even as we've discussed life transformation this morning on, on a couple of levels, Lord God, I pray that this would be the time in which we recognize your word is shaping us and transforming us into your image. God, we thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this morning. I'm sorry for my voice. I'm working through something here. So, um, I was, first of all, I was just encouraged by what Sean had to say this morning. Um, and probably in the way that you probably don't think, when he said that he was offended by about 90% of what I said, that's where I found my encouragement, which is not, is not something that I want to boast in. And yet, I recognize, and we should also recognize, that when we come to Scripture, when we look at the words, this is, this is oftentimes in direct opposition to who we are in our nature. And so when we spend time in God's Word looking at what God is communicating about who He is, we should be looking at this portrait, this picture of, that God is painting for us and thinking to ourselves, boy, that is, a, that is something that I am not. And when we get to a passage like this in James chapter 2, and we get to really reflect on what God is communicating to us, then we start to think to ourselves, boy, I am certainly guilty of this. And there is then, a, there is then this thrust to, to, to move. Boy, how can I fulfill the royal law according to the scripture? If I become a transgressor in one point, how, how and, it, and it says that if I, in one point, then I've, then I've transgressed the whole law, then what is there for me? And so this passage, even though it's given to us by James um, as an understanding of not showing partiality in the assembly, it is a clear gospel proclamation to us, and we will we'll get there. We'll get there this morning. But I always want to start out this morning with a big idea. As we've read this text, I think a few things pop out to me um, as it relates to us where we are in Jamestown in 2017. So, big idea this morning then is this, just two simple sentences. Uh, James prompts his readers to consider their actions towards others, no matter their status in society. That's the first part. James prompts us to consider our actions towards others, no matter our status or their status in society. And then secondly, second sentence, how one conducts himself or herself or oneself, regarding the rich and the poor, is the fruit of mercy. I just grammatically corrected myself there. How one conducts oneself regarding the rich and the poor is the fruit of mercy. So this is going to be an idea that becomes apparent to us throughout. And James doesn't reinvent the wheel here. There's nothing new going on. As we've been studying the book of James, you're going to start to see some of these things. You're like, why is he still preaching on this? Why is he still going on? Because James is continuing to press home some of these ideas. So the first idea that we want to see this morning is the idea of showing partiality. What does it mean by that? Drawing distinctions between people. And James immediately, at, in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, says, Show no partiality. He addresses, he addresses his brothers, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Why? 
Why ought we not show no partiality? It's simple. Verse 5. Verse 5 is the linchpin of this text for us. Verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? That's a gospel proclamation right there. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not, God has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Yes. The answer is yes. This is a rhetorical question. Yes. God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. And then James gives us this little anecdote, right? He gives us this little anecdote in verses 2 through 4. If a rich guy shows up in your assembly, and the word here is just a, a gathering, right? A gathering probably happening in a home for James' readers. If, if a rich guy shows up in your assembly, and, and, which, um, and, and, a, and a poor guy also shows up, and you say to the rich, come sit over here, i got a lazy boy chair for you, recline in this chair, this is nice, this is the best place to watch the football game. And then you go to the next guy, and sit over there in the corner, or sit down on the floor, You've shown partiality. You've drawn distinctions. So we don't need to do when we look at a text like this is overthink it. We don't need to overthink this text. It's, it's very simple. It's a practical outworking of, of what it means to show no partiality. Dude with a gold ring and fine clothing. Dude with shabby clothing. There's no distinction. Don't show partiality between these guys. The showing of partiality is a demonstration of Worldly wisdom, this is something that we've talked about in James, worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom, right? What does it look like to exercise godly wisdom? Here James is telling us very clearly to show no partiality. Based on what we see here, external appearance. To show no partiality based on external experience is godly wisdom. We've all heard this phrase, right? Don't judge a book by its cover. That's essentially what James is saying. Don't judge a book by its cover. This is far more true for the Christian than anyone else in society. It's because of what verse 5 says. God has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. Therefore, don't show partiality. Don't judge the book by its cover. Is a guy in your neighborhood living in the overgrown yard and run-down house? Are you treating him differently than the guy who drives a $70,000 truck and is also made in the image of God, but not more? And Jesus came to die for both. And this is kind of where the rubber hits the road in this text, and overall in James. Because if we say that we're followers of Jesus, but we frequently make distinctions between people, then we're violating exactly what Scripture commands of us. And if you think back to last week and how we wrapped up last week in, in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, if you think about that, we talked about bridling one's tongue, right? And, and especially the idea that, that true, uh, true religion is, uh, is if, oh, let me just read it for us. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This idea of partiality flows then right out of this, right? Right out of this. 
Bridle your tongue when considering all people. Care for all people. Always exercise godly wisdom towards people. And if we consider the text in its entirety then, and we think back to, or all the way down the page to verse 12, we see James sort of building his idea backwards. He starts with the more specific and moves then into, um, moves then into the more general. Look at verse 12 with me. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. What does that mean? James, what does that mean? Well, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. To speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty means that you will love your neighbor as yourself. And what does it look like then to love one's neighbor as oneself? Verse 1, show no partiality. Show no partiality. Jesus' example in Luke 10, if you remember way back in August, if you were with us, way back in August we talked about the Good Samaritan in particular. We talked about the Good Samaritan and what it was um, that, that Jesus was trying to communicate through that story. And this man, he takes this windy road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He gets mugged. He's beat up, left on the side of the road, bloodied. There's, no, there's almost no hope for him to be recovered because this is a dangerous road. And a couple of Jewish leaders are walking down that road and they pass right by the guy. They just pass right by the guy on the other side of the road. And then there's this Samaritan that Jesus says stops and cares for the man. And Jesus, when he comes to the end of that story, says that it's the Samaritan, the one who shows mercy to the one who's beaten on the side of the road, that is the one who is the good neighbor. The Samaritan ultimately didn't show partiality despite a significant amount of racial tension that existed between Samaritans and Jews. Jews would have frequently said to Samaritans that the Samaritans were created by God to fuel the fires of hell. They would have said that to a Samaritan. They're drawing distinctions there. But Jesus says this Samaritan fulfills what James calls the law of liberty. My voice cracked. The law of liberty by uh, demonstrating and showing no partiality to the guy who was bloodied on the side of the road. He didn't say, look at this guy who's different from me. He got down to the blood and the grime and he loved his neighbor. And that's what it really looks like, right? Loving your neighbor is a mess. If we, if we want to say, it, it's a great tagline, right? We toss it on everything. Love God, love neighbor, blah, blah, blah. Throw it up on the wall. And yet, this is something that is significantly messy, bloody, grimy. And when it starts to get messy for us sometimes in our world, that's when we decide that loving our neighbor doesn't appear to be all that great. It doesn't appear to be all that great. The church is great at getting into its own feedback loop. We oftentimes get into our own feedback loop where we get together, we assemble together as a people and start, and start just doing stuff and churning together and just living life together and just we're caught in this feedback loop. We're like, oh brother, you're so great. Oh brother, you're so great. Blah, 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 blah. And when, and I've said that twice now, but when, 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 when in all reality, what God is saying through his servant James here is don't look at the people that you're close contact with that's not loving your neighbor. In some sense it is, but at the end of the day, if that person can return to you something that you have given to them, 
then what you've done is demonstrated and shown partiality. You've said, I'm going to pour myself out. Like this example that James gives, I'm going to pour myself out and, and make, it, make the rich man comfortable because I know that he can return something to me. Where the poor man, in, his, in, his instance, in this instance, cannot in any way return this kind gesture. What it means to love your neighbor is to spin out of that, spin out of that and say, no, in the blood and the grime, that's where I'm going to meet the people, meet people who are unlike me, who are distinct from me, and show no partiality. And again, this is a gospel imperative. We will get there in a second. Loving your neighbor is a mess. What James says is to fulfill the royal law according to Scripture by loving your neighbor. But if you show partiality in doing that, you violate the law. And you, when you violate one aspect of the law, you violated the whole thing. So when it gets messy for us, when it gets messy in our world, we don't back down and say, you know what? I'll go find someone else who isn't so messy. Gosh, people are going to offend us all of the time. It is a guarantee. If we come together as a church and think to ourselves that, that we won't be offended by what's going on in this space, like 90% of the time, like we will, in some respects, just back out. We'll just say, we're going to show partiality because that person offended me. What I'm not saying is that we shouldn't, we shouldn't seek to build one another up and encourage one another, but just by the way that we live our lives and the, the preferences that we have and things like that, when we're seeking to set those aside, we together are just going to wind up being offended by things that people say. It is the reality of the world that we live in. It is the reality of the fact that every single one of us in this room has a sin nature. So when it gets messy, we back down and say, you know what, I'm going to find someone else who isn't so messy. And we're violating this, this command to show no partiality. But rather, what we ought to be doing together is working towards obedience in the command and recognizing that those that we're called to love and care for, those who we are called as the church, as those who have trusted Christ and who are following, who are seeking to follow Him, those who we are called to love and care for are oftentimes unable to return that gesture. That is never motivation for loving neighbor. So why is it so important? Then? Why is this so important for us, this showing partiality idea? One, and this is the gospel imperative, this is the command that comes out of, that flows out of the gospel that's spoken so clearly to us in verse 5. That God doesn't show partiality towards us. God doesn't show partiality towards us. If Jesus says that the law and the prophets, like he does in that Luke 10 passage, before, before the Good Samaritan story, if Jesus says the law and the prophets are summed up in the love the Lord your God and love the neighbor as you, your neighbor as yourself, and if at any point you fail to keep those commands, then you're, what James says, a transgressor of the law, and you've broken it. The law is required to be kept. Keeping the law, God's standard, is the basis for us to be set apart. The basis for us to be holy, which God calls us. He says, God says, you must be holy as the Lord your God is holy. 
But the fact of the matter is that we've all violated the law. There's not one person in this room who has not violated the law at one point. And James says if you violated it at one point, you violated the whole thing. If there was ever distinctions to be made, if there was ever partiality to be shown, it was by God towards us. If there was ever warrant for partiality to be shown, it was by God towards us. And yet, he did not. This distinction that could have been or should have been even in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things made, it was, it was in this instant. It's literally apples to oranges. God looked at us, saw completely sinful, sinful people. And he himself completely sinless. There was no greater chasm that could exist. Ever. No greater chasm that could exist. And the one who set the standard, God himself, that should not be violated under any circumstances by any means, and the ones, us, who violate that by the very nature that we possess, the very nature that we were conceived into, and those whose thoughts were immediately upon sucking air into our lungs, were immediately about loving self and not others or God. He says, no, I'm going to span that chasm. I am not going to show partiality. He says, those creatures of mine who have violated what I created them for, I'm going to make a way for them to be whole again going to make a way for them to uphold the command to love God and to love neighbor. And in that, God sent his son, Jesus, into the world, sacrificed on our behalf, so that that chasm wouldn't just be spanned, it would be obliterated. In Christ, the enemies become friends, the oppressors become accepted, the orphans become adopted, the unjust become justified. The unrighteous become righteous in Christ. And we, as those, so God shows no partiality, although it would be completely reasonable for Him to do so. And we are called then to mirror that. That's what James is telling us. By, for, by communicating in verse 5 what He does, has God not chosen those who are poor in the kingdom to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? We're called to mirror him in that. That's what it means. If, we, if you heard us use this term gospel-centered, part of our vision is simply to be those who are gospel-centered, to be gospel-saturated, to live together in gospel-saturated community. Gospel-centered community doesn't make distinctions between people. If you say that you make, or if you make distinctions between, between people, then your community is not centered on the gospel. It's the fact of the matter that gospel proclaims the good news to all people, regardless of who they are or where they reside in society. It doesn't show partiality. It doesn't leave the hurting and their hurt, but meets them in it. It isn't worried about the blood and grime and the, the priest and the Levite, but like the Samaritan, gets right in there. Gospel-centered community doesn't espouse condemnation for sin only, but actively points others to the way or out of enslavement to sin by pointing to others to Christ's work on the cross. In a Christian culture that often leaves people in their sin to figure it out, James' words here are a scathing critique. To us, 
we who have believed the gospel do not show partiality to others because God did not show partiality towards us. And a life transformed by the gospel always bears fruit. It always bears fruit. This is not a new concept to us as we've been in James. And Mark is actually next week going to preach on this to us. The relationship between faith and works and how one and the other and then how they need to be a package deal. But look at verse 12 with me very quickly. Look at verse 12. Speaking and acting as those who are uh, under the law of liberty. Freedom or liberty for the followers of Jesus, right? Speaking and acting as those who are judged under the law of liberty. What does this mean? What it does not mean is I am able to do what I want. What it means is I am able to do what God wants. What God has commanded. What God has created me for. God has created us to bring Him glory. And outside of Jesus, we are in, unable to bring Him glory in any kind of capacity. In Christ, we are now able to bring Him glory. So speak and act as one who is to be judged in the law of liberty. Speak and act as one now who has the ability in Christ to bring Him glory. And then again, verse 13, for judgment without mercy to one, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What we tend to do in a verse like this is to say, well, that sounds like we need to work for our salvation. Again, James is saying that a life transformed by the gospel will always bear fruit. In this case, in the form of mercy, much like, again, Luke 10, the Good Samaritan. If you've received God's abounding mercy, you will show others mercy in response. You will respond in mercy. And again, the structures of society for James and what Jesus did throughout his life and ministry was turn these structures of society in on their head. It's not the rich and the power and the influential, powerful and influential here on earth that should warrant the believer's attention. But those who have no ability to return an act of mercy. And you're going to go to, maybe you're going to go to work this week, right? Maybe you're going to go to work this week and you're going you're gonna to feel the pull of your heart to get in good with that one guy who can, who can advance your career, right? You're going to feel the pull to get in good with the one guy that advanced your career. Or that one client, if they decided to move more of their business, you could really propel you to like a financially a record-breaking year. Well, what about the guy sweeping the floors as his third job, trying to pay child support? What about that guy who literally can offer nothing to you in a relationship? He can literally offer nothing to you in a relationship. James is a clear message for this situation. Fulfill the law of liberty to love your neighbor by showing no partiality. Treat the man with the gold ring the same as the one with shabby clothing. Again, gospel proclamation. Jesus showed no partiality. He went to the cross for all types of people. There is no distinction, no parameters placed on the mercy extended by God through Jesus. And where we fail all too often, Jesus did not. This is the gospel proclamation. Where we fail all too often, Jesus did not. He loved God perfectly. He loved his neighbor perfectly. The Good Samaritan is really a story about Jesus. 
is really a story about Jesus. Jesus is the Good Samaritan who meets us in the blood and grime and the mess of life and offers us an eternity spent with God. The Father looks at us and He sees the righteousness of our Son. Therefore, we no longer strive to do, but we rest in what Christ did. We no longer strive to do, but we rest in what Christ did and in response. Now we're free to do what we were intended to do and to be those who we were created to be, to show no partiality to those who we come in contact with on a regular basis. So again, in just a few minutes here, we're going to go and we're going to eat a meal together. And for some of you, this might be the first time that you've spent time together significantly with this body. What I would ask for you to do is to find somebody maybe that you don't know. Maybe somebody who looks different than you. Maybe someone who's in a different season of life. Spend time with those people. Show no partiality. Don't look to, to receive return when we give. When we spend time, we build relationship with others. Let's speak and act as those who are free from drawing boundaries because of the boundless mercy of God. And then also, let's encourage one another in the 160 some odd hours left in our week. Let's encourage one another to be those who draw no distinctions between gold rings and shabby clothes. Let's pray.